0: Welcome, fellas and dudettes, to another episode of the Fellas of Phoenix podcast, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay, and yes, in case you missed the last episode, I did in fact Google what the female version of a fella was just for this intro. Um, Today, we're just going to dive right in. There aren't going to be any special segments or entertainment topics because we've got three big Suns items to tackle. Uh, The Suns postponed game last night. Uh, the meat of our show, which is going to be the ongoing DeAndre Ayton discussion. And finally, how to fix the Suns starting five. We talked about it on the last episode as far as uh, the numbers have not been kind to the Suns starting five. It's becoming a bit of a problem. We saw it again in the Suns' most recent game. Um, you know, They followed up that Detroit loss, which was their worst loss of the season, with a very convincing win. On the second night of a back-to-back against the Pacers, and then they followed that up with, again, their most disappointing loss of the season, this time to a Washington Wizards team that was missing Russell Westbrook, was missing Thomas Bryant. Um, I think they were 2-7 or 2-8 going into that game. So not a great look for the Suns. And once again, the story of the game was getting off to a really bad start and the starting unit just not coming together the way that we've expected. So. We're definitely going to dive into all of that. Um, let's start with this postponed game. Wednesday night, we're actually recording this on Wednesday, but Wednesday night, the Suns had their home game against the Atlanta Hawks postponed. It was the seventh game of the season, and the reason was that the Suns did not have the required eight players necessary to play Um You know, we don't have details on whether there have been positive cases, more positive cases on the Suns, or whether it's just due to contact tracing yet. But, um, you know, as of this recording, last night, Jalen Smith, you know, he was listed as being out for health and safety protocols, which has been the case. I think this would have been his fourth game missed due to health and safety protocols. Campaign was listed as doubtful with an ankle sprain. And those were the only two players on the injury list as of Tuesday night. And then Wednesday we get the word that they're going to have to postpone the game because the Suns don't have enough players. Um, So again, we need to emphasize this does not necessarily mean that Suns players have tested positive. Maybe we'll get some word on that in the next couple of hours here on Wednesday evening, but it could just be contact tracing, especially now that the NBA is trying to implement stricter rules. Um, You know, thanks to the super spreader Washington wizards pretty much. Um, you know, just looking at the Wizards schedule, it's it's kind of embarrassing. The league didn't see this coming and, and postpone the Wizards son's game beforehand, um, not only because that would have saved Phoenix some grief with that horrible loss, but also because you just look at who they played. They played the Nets who had Kevin Durant out for health for about a week due to health and safety protocols. They played the 76ers, and then Seth Curry, you know, we'll never forget that moment where he's pulled from the bench during a game. He wasn't playing in that game because he was already sitting out with an injury, but he had to leave the bench area because a positive result to his test turned up in the middle of a game in the first quarter. Um, Then the Wizards went on to play, oh, and the 76ers, by the way, have had to play a super shorthanded game against the Nuggets since then, and then again with only eight players against the Heat most recently. Um, Then the Wizards played the Celtics, and since then Jason Tatum and Robert Williams have tested positive. They've had to hold multiple other players out for contact tracing, and they've postponed their last two games, uh, one against the Heat on Sunday and then another against the Bulls on Tuesday. Oh, and then, oh yeah, uh, another one against the Magic on Wednesday. So three postponed games for the Celtics. And then the Wizards played the Heat, and the Heat had their Celtics game postponed already. And then they followed that up with multiple players having to sit against the 76ers on Tuesday due to health and safety protocols. So we kind of should have been able to see this coming. Every team that the Wizards had come in contact with in the last four or five games wound up having to sit players due to health and safety protocols. Bradley Beal from the Wizards had to sit himself for a game on Saturday due to health and safety protocols, and then was back for Monday's game against the Suns, Lucky Phoenix. Um, Now the Wizards have played the Suns. Now the Suns have multiple players out due to contact tracing or, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe there are positive cases. Hopefully that's not the case, but we don't know. Um, So now the Suns game against the Hawks has been postponed. I'm, you know, the Wizards had their game on Wednesday postponed as well. We've had one NBA game postponed every day since Sunday, including three on Wednesday. I don't understand why the league has not just, you know, implemented a one or a two week pause on everything. It's really weird. Like this is an outbreak. We're seeing an outbreak. Remember, remember when this first happened, when coronavirus first broke out and we had one player testing positive, Rudy Gobert, and they shut down the whole season now we've got multiple players on multiple teams either testing positive or being held out because they were in contact with someone who tested positive. And the league is just like, well, you know, we're just going to keep trudging along. <laughs> like It's fine. It's not fine. It's a really bad look. I don't know if it's because like the NFL and MLB just kind of push through and sort of normalized that like, you know, these players are going to get it. Guys are going to get it. We're just going to push through. Hopefully it doesn't shut down too many players or too many teams. Hopefully no one dies, you know. We're just going to push through because we need to make up the money. Um, and I get it. Like, the players opted in for this. They didn't want another bubble because a bubble over a 72-game season was unrealistic anyway, um, especially, you know. They they had a bubble for three months just for the playoffs, and that was enough of a mental strain just being stuck in the same spot. But, you know, at the same time, I, I don't feel like people really – are internalizing how much you need to just stay the hell at home if we want to curb, you know, the the spread of this disease the, of this virus. But you know, we're just pushing along. We're not taking a break at all. We're just going to keep going, and we're going to see what happens, I guess. But for now, the Suns' games against uh, their upcoming games Friday and Saturday uh, against the Warriors, one of which you know was going to have Kelly Oubre coming home. Are now in question. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know if Suns players are gonna test positive later today, later tomorrow, in between, what's gonna happen. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully, there are no positive cases on the Suns, but you know, we're gonna see what happens moving forward. This brings us to the meat of our pod today, which is DeAndre Aiden. And you know, if you were anywhere near Twitter yesterday. Or if you've just been watching the Suns in general, you can feel that this, this debate was going to start again, and it you know hit the fan the last couple of days. Um, DeAndre Ayton has not played well to start the season. Let's just get that out of the way first. Um, but there's always a lot of consternation and a lot of just, I don't know, stress, pent-up anxiety when it comes to this discussion because the Suns took him number one overall. Um my stance on Ayton is the same as it's ever been. It's okay to criticize or hold a player to a higher standard as a number one pick, especially one who's blessed with elite size, you know, physical gifts that are absurd, a skill set that should work on this team. Like Aiton should be a lot better than he's been lately. Um, and the Luka Doncic thing only adds to the pressure because they had a chance to select the best prospect in the draft, and they did not. They took Ayton. They took the local kid out of Arizona. Um, But, you know, the Doncic thing, adding pressure to this situation is how it should be. Like, Luka is an MVP candidate, and he looks like he's going to go down as an all-time great. Aiton does not to this point. Um, And we need to clarify something. Pointing out that a player who has disappeared more often than not to start the season, pointing out that they have, in fact, disappeared, is not hate it's not hating on a player it's simply making an observation and it's an accurate one at this point um i I see a lot of people you know saying that oh son's twitter will never accept deandre Ayton even when he does well and stuff like that like that's not the case people are just pointing out what they're seeing they're not hammering him because he's not luca like it's okay to routinely express disappointment in a former number one pick if he's routinely disappointing which he has been to this point in the season um Again, the Luka factor might contribute to that for some people, but I don't think the majority of Suns Twitter, the ones that are criticizing DA, I don't think they're doing it because they want to rub it in like how right they were about you know the Suns should have taken Luka. The reality of the situation, though, is the Suns whiffed on that pick. So yes, when Luka's out doing what he's doing in Dallas and getting Aiton to show up as a battle more often than it really should be for a player blessed with his size and skill set, then yeah, it's, it's going to be part of the conversation. And that's not irregular. That's the territory that every number one pick faces, unless they're like an absolute star from day one. Um, The the comparison that I keep coming back to is back in 1984, the Houston Rockets took Hakeem Olajuwon number one in the draft. He was the consensus top draft pick. Like he was going to be a stud and he did wind up becoming a stud. Nobody gives the Rockets grief for taking Hakeem on number one, even though the greatest player of all time went number three in that draft. Like nobody says, oh, the Rockets should have drafted Jordan. There's been a lot of think pieces about like, well, what would have happened if the Rockets had taken Jordan, which is a fun exercise. But nobody judges them or calls Hakeem a draft bust because Hakeem was an incredible player. He was an MVP. He was a defensive player of the year. And the Rockets, and perhaps most importantly, the Rockets won multiple championships with him in Houston. The team that gets the grief for not taking Jordan higher is the Portland Trailblazers, who took Sam Bowie. And Sam Bowie had like a couple of semi-productive seasons in Portland. He was okay, but eventually injuries basically cost him his career. He played in the league for a good amount of time but not enough for a number two overall pick. And he never had a season that really justified him going that high. And it looked awful because the very next pick was Michael freaking Jordan, the greatest player of all time. So when you talk about taking Deandre Ayton over Luka Doncic, obviously Doncic has a lot to still do in his career. He's never won an MVP award. He's never won a title. Like this is obviously only his third year. So he's still got a lot that he needs to accomplish, but it looks like at this point in time, he's going to be an all time great. He's going to be somebody that wins, that is capable of winning you championships and winning MVP awards. Like the dude nearly averaged a triple double in his second season and was a top five MVP candidate at age like 20. So he's only going to get better. It's kind of scary to think about, but in this analogy, You want DeAndre Ayton, you need DeAndre Ayton to be closer to Hakeem than Sam Bowie. Like, I don't think Ayton is anywhere near Bowie in terms of his raw talent. I think this dude could put up a double-double in his sleep every night. The question is whether he's going to be a part of Suns teams that win a championship and that would be enough to justify taking him over Luka. Like if the Suns win a title and DeAndre Ayton contributes to a winning title team, you can kind of justify taking him over Luka the same way you can justify Hakeem going over Jordan. Like no one would give the Suns crap for taking Ayton if he contributed to a title winning team. Maybe you could still play the what-if game because a wing duo of Devin Booker and Luka Doncic would have been elite for years to come. Maybe they would have won more with that pairing, but we'll never know that. So all that matters is what happens moving forward. The problem there is that, you know, like Aiton is not living up to that right now. He's not, and obviously it's only his third year and he his second season was derailed by that suspension, but he's bringing a lot of this on himself, the, the area where I draw the line in this conversation is directly attacking a 22 year old kid. Like I was not, I was happy not to see a lot of the Aiden and hate on my timeline because I don't think I follow the type of fans that would, you know, mention him directly and, and call him all these names and stuff. But, you know, and I still believe a lot of this is straw man. A lot of it is saying like, Oh, son's Twitter will never accept Aiden. But there is, there is that hatred out there. there is, I think it's a generalization to say most of Sun's Twitter hates on Aiton, but there is that sect of fans mentioning him him directly on Twitter, calling him soft, calling him a bitch, saying all these really awful things to this 22-year-old kid. And, you know, players get hate on this on social media. They get hate like this, like, all the time. That comes with the territory of being a professional athlete, and unfortunately, that's especially the case if you're a black professional athlete. Um, it's, it's the reality that there are awful people in this world who are going to say reprehensible shit after a loss or a bad performance. But, you know, after the year that we've been through, how, like, how is your main takeaway not that we need to treat people around us with a little bit more kindness, with a little bit more decency, like, okay, maybe not when it comes to like white supremacists and racists, but think about how heavy everyone's minds and hearts have been this year. Like, think about how far a phone from a a phone call from a friend or a kind word from someone you care about or even a positive interaction with someone online, how far that went for you this year. So, like, I don't understand the impulse to spread that kind of ugly negativity. And to those fans who are attacking a 22-year-old kid with that kind of ferocity, all I've got to say to you is this. Grow the fuck up. Seriously, grow the fuck up. Being a fan of a sports team does not give you the right to be an asshole. And there's a way to have a healthy basketball dialogue about Ayton with dragging him through the mud, dragging him into it in such an ugly way. So, with that being said, let's dive into that topic and hit both the negatives and the positives that were seeing from Ayton on the court. And, you know, not in a way that attacks the dude's character or <laughs> calls him out directly. Um, so far this season, Ayton is only averaging 12 and a half points per game. That's down a lot from 18.2 points per game last year. He's still averaging 11.3 rebounds a night, still averaging a block a game. Um, he's shooting 56.6% from the field, which is actually a little bit better than last season. His free throw shooting is down. It's about 64%, which is down from last year. Um, the good news is he's still elite around the rim. He's shooting 64.6% around the rim, which is great. Um, you know That's above league average. It's better than last year. But he went from 9.5 attempts per game around the basket to about six per game through these first 11 games of this season. Um, you know he's only taking 9.6 shot attempts per game total so far this season. So he's barely, he's barely shooting the number of shots that he took around the basket in total this year. Um, and his, timid, his timidness on offense has just been an absolute killer. Like there's nothing wrong with passing out of double teams when the defense collapses on that short roll, but too many times he's got a layup or a dunk and he's not going up with it. Like that's just who he is. He doesn't have this elite vertical or you know that killer mentality to dunk on people. But he just hasn't been on the same page with Booker and CP3 either. And we've all seen the clips where where Book and, and Chris Paul, you know, turn the ball over in disgust and they, and they like turn away because he's not in the right spot or they're looking for him to be the seven footer that he is and like seal and do damage and catch that pass. And he's just not doing it. Like he's not making himself available. He's not being in the right spot. Um, and that, that can't all be blamed on Aiton. Like some of it is just developing that chemistry between the ball handler and the roller. But it hasn't been good. Like we've seen Chris Paul turn away and discuss the other night. We've seen Devin Booker do the same when these plays happen. And, you know, his role was always going to be reduced on this team just because there are so many shooters around him. Um, I thought it was kind of weird. People kept pegging him as this like most improved player candidate just because they got Chris Paul, like the dude averaged 18 and 12 last season (laughs) And, you know, adding Chris Paul, sure, it's supposed to make his life easier and help make him more efficient, which hasn't been the case to this point. But you look at the rest of the roster, it's a very shooter-heavy roster. Like, Aiton's numbers, if they did improve, they weren't going to improve by a whole lot. This offense does not revolve around him or run through him. Um, But, you know, this is a lot worse than we were expecting. Like, he's regressed in some very real ways. He's taking too many mid-range jumpers still. And he's still not good at those mid-range jumpers. And he's not looking to seal or draw contact a lot. So on top of that, his offensive rebounds are down. He's averaging 2.9 offensive boards per game. Last season, it was 3.9. Even as a rookie, it was 3.1. So career worst in that category so far. Um, So yeah, despite the elite defensive rebounding percentage that I'm hearing about on Twitter this week, it's not good for Aiton right now on the offensive side of the ball. Um, on a plus note, defense has been another matter. He's mostly been good on that end of the floor. He's done a nice job switching. He's contesting more shots. He's closing out possessions with a defensive rebound, um, You know, averaging a career high in defensive boards per game so far this season. Uh, he's just more engaged defensively, and he passes the eye test on that end for the most part which is actually kind of hilarious because he's now the exact inverse of what he was originally projected to be, you know, coming out of Arizona, he was supposed to be this offensive dynamo, this guy who was going to expand his range to three point territory had, you know, this feathery, perfect touch around the basket. And the real concerns for him were the defensive side of the ball, you know, whether he'd be able to switch, whether he'd be able to stay engaged, contest shots, now it's like the exact opposite of that. He is a complete non-factor on the offensive end. And defensively, he's looked pretty good. Um, unfortunately, there are just too many games where he's out of it on both ends still. Like the Pistons game where, you know, the Suns got eaten alive by the likes of, you know, Mason Plumley, And the Wizards game where he got pushed around by Robin Lopez. Like Robin Lopez had more offensive boards in that game than Aiton did total. Which is embarrassing. He's playing a backup center. And Robin Lopez is a, you know, a skilled veteran. He's been around the league for a while, but DeAndre Ayton cannot be getting eaten alive by the likes of Robin Lopez, especially against a short-handed Wizards team that's two and eight. Like that just can't happen. And you know, in addition to that, the plus-minus on court, off-court numbers, they're not kind to him. So in total, the Suns are a minus 47. In DeAndre Ayton's three hundred and thirty-two minutes on the floor, and that minus forty-seven is by far a team worst. Damian Jones, for reference, is second at minus twenty-nine. Um, you know, Jones's horrible rating is only in forty-two minutes, so <laughs> it's more—it's a lot worse per minute. But Ayton, the Suns are a minus forty-seven with their starting center on the floor. That's not great. Um, you know, they're four points per one hundred possessions better offensively. And they're a whopping 25.1 points stingier per 100 possessions on the defensive end when he is not playing. So the eye test may look good. The numbers don't really back it up. To be fair, all of the Sun starters' numbers kind of look similar right now. They're on court, off court numbers just because that starting unit hasn't gelled. But, you know, that can only excuse so much of the number discrepancy that we're seeing there. Like they've. They've got a minus 7.1 net rating with him and a 21.9 net rating without him. So that's a 29 points per 100 possession swing based on when DeAndre Ayton is sitting or when he's playing. And that can't happen with a franchise cornerstone kind of piece to your team. It just can't. So, you know, yes, DeAndre Ayton has been genuinely disappointing this season. He's not the only problem for the Suns right now. But he might be the biggest because if he's not rolling hard to the rim, if he's not sealing, he's just kind of bogging down the offense by clogging up the paint. And, and especially, that's especially true if he's not being as successful on the offensive glass as he normally is. Um, the defense has improved according to the eye test, but the reality—you know—the reality isn't as bad as the on-off numbers paint it. But there are still too many nights where he just disappears, where he looks out of it, where he doesn't look engaged. And the Suns aren't quite built to make up for that right now. So with this whole Aiden discussion, that brings us to our final topic, which is the starting fives problems and how on earth the Suns are supposed to fix them. Um, You know, so far, the Sun starters boast a negative 6.5 net rating, and they've been outscored by 27 points total in 184 minutes together, which, you know, is, is pretty bad. But especially so when you consider the Suns are a plus 41 overall in the season. So that means the Suns starters are a minus 27, and all other signs Suns lineups have combined to be a plus 68. So that's not great considering the talent and you know the supposedly um, complementary skill sets of these starters. Like Devin Booker went as far as admitting that the bench has been doing all the heavy lifting lately.
1: Did it surprise me. I, I mean, I don't know. We just, you know, we we do have to figure it out. Um, a lot of the games that we've won, you know, we we've been carried by our bench, um, to to be honest. Um, so there there is something that we we need to fix there. And, you know, I feel like we will um, finding the flow, finding the chemistry, um, or or whatever it is. So you know, we have to take it day by day, and you know, that's the that's the part of the NBA. You know, you have to make adjustments and and find out what's going on. Um, but we're too many games in, you know, for it to for it to keep happening. And then, you know, that's something that you know would be conversated amongst the team, um, amongst the coaching staff, amongst the players. But you know, we it's it, it's it's obvious and it's evident right now. Um, this first unit has to figure it out.
0: So Book is pretty much right on the money there. They have to find some way to figure this out. And they have been carried by the bench for the most part. Now, the main reasons this lineup doesn't appear to be working so far revolves around, you know, yes, Aiton, frustration with Aiton, but also Book and CP3 not really meshing well together just yet. So the Suns are getting outscored by 6.3 points per 100 possessions when Book and CP3 share the floor. So they're a minus 33 total in 262 minutes together lineups with book but no cp3 are a plus 57 lineups with cp3 but no book are a plus 11 so i'm not trying to throw a bunch of numbers at you but it's pretty bad that they're minus 33 when their two best players are on the court but are positive when one of the two is on the court but not the other one so the rockets had success with staggering cp3 and harden when they played together. And Monty may have to consider doing that more often, which, you know, we saw a little bit of it with campaign out for the last few games and it worked really well for Phoenix in the Indiana game. That was the one where Booker had that stretch where he scored or assisted on 15 straight points for the Suns in the run that basically put the game away. Um, And that stretch happened largely without CP three on the floor. So that is something Monty will have to look into. Um, you know, the, the other one, the other problem, the big glaring problem that we've talked about is Ayton, which is really a matter of the Suns getting on the same page, building that chemistry. You know, it's only been 11 games and with a truncated offseason and a training camp with two new new major pieces to implement into the starting five. Um, that's, you know, that's going to take some time, especially because one of those new pieces is a very ball dominant point guard. Who's known for controlling the flow of games better than maybe any point guard in NBA history? So they should be fine. They do need to pick up the pace a little bit. Booker and Mani have both mentioned this. They've mentioned that the pace is not where it needs to be. Um, and CP3 just has to be more aggressive as a scorer. Like right now, they don't need him to be as much of a facilitator as he's been. They need him to be aggressive in looking for his shot. Um, you know, too often Paul starts the game, he's trying to get. DeAndre Ayton involved, but he's got to be looking for a shot. And we we talked about him needing to just shoot those catch and three catch and shoot threes that he's getting instead of you know putting the ball on the floor and, and trying to probe the defense to look for a better shot. Um, he, he's just got to be better about knowing when to take charge, like he's done so many times in his career. Um, it's kind of weird that his fill for this has been so off this season because. You know that's been one of the best things about him is his ability to manage the flow of the games, to know when to take over. He hasn't done that too often with the Suns just yet, um, especially early in games when you can kind of feel momentum slipping away from Phoenix. But you know maybe that's just part of playing with new teammates, especially when so many of those guys are younger. Um, we'll see. Well, it's something we have to keep an eye on. But, you know, the problem has gotten so unavoidable that Monty Williams acknowledged he needs to take a closer look and and consider potential adjustments to work it out.
2: Uh, Probably familiarity as far as lineups are concerned. And uh, it's something that um, I got to take a deep look at and see if, you know, it's not worth uh, a discussion on a number of things. But. That group has not played well. I think before the Indiana game, um, it was not rated as a uh, a really good group, but I don't think they've had a ton of time to gel and, and to know what to expect or to know how to play off of each other. So it's something that I gotta, you know, maybe make an adjustment and, uh, you know, ultimately I gotta do what's best for the team and it may, you know, me and I have to look at it enough and discuss it enough where we have to make some type of change.
0: So this obviously begs the question, you know, what potential adjustments could the Suns make to fix their starting lineup? Um, There are two big ones. And to be honest, I don't like either one, unless they're just temporary measures to kind of wake the starters up and send a message. Um, And those two potential fixes are, you know, starting Cam Johnson over Jay Crowder or benching DeAndre Ayton for Saric. Um, you know, those are both kind of, one of them is pretty drastic. When Sharich is in at the five, the ball hums in that 0.5 offense, which is good. Um, he's more of a three point threat. He's much more aggressive on offense. He's much better passer and a, and a much better playmaker, you know, off a pump fake or a dribble. But if they put Sharich in the starting five and moved Aiden into the bench, that leaves the Suns woefully undersized. Um, especially if Sharich is is starting as a five rather than playing his ideal position as a backup five. Um, And the the Sharich-Aiton lineups haven't worked because Sharich isn't quick enough to keep up with small ball fours. So, you know, even if that's the case, I don't know if he's large enough to survive being a starting center as opposed to just a backup center, um, you know, for more than a game or two. You can only make that kind of switch and bench Aiton for a game or two just to, like, send a message, like, Big fella, you need to wake up. And, and this has happened with Aiden before, where he's been benched for a game, you know, played really well off the bench, and then earned his starting job back. The disappointing thing is we're still having to do this in season three. But you know that might be what it takes to get him to wake up. The other swap is the more popular one because it's not quite as drastic. Um, you know, it's it's putting Cam Johnson in for Jay Crowder. But the energy he's been providing off the bench has been incredible. You know, he's a plus 78 in his 255 minutes. And a large part of that is because he's playing with these bench heavy lineups and he's really meshing with them well. You know, how much really changes swapping in cam for Crowder? Like maybe the floor spacing improves a little bit, but Crowder has been hoisting and he's been doing just fine from three point range. Um, And even as good as Cam has been defensively, we've talked about how good he's been on that end of the floor. The Suns would still be downgrading on that end if they move Johnson into the starting five over Crowder because Crowder has the strength that's necessary to take on some of these bigger front court matchups. Um, You know, Crowder could be a good fit with the second unit. Like we've seen him throw some of those zingers as a passer. Um, he's got like one flashy pass a game, it feels like, where it's like, okay, wow, this guy knows how to move the ball. But I don't know if I would entrust the whole second unit to him or entrust him to do a lot of the things that Cam's been doing as far as being, you know, a, an energy guy, this bench leader, this sniper with the second unit like he's been. Um, so I, I feel like that's a lateral move that. it it just shakes things up for the the sake of shaking things up without actually addressing the root of the problem, which, you know, going back to Aiton and and Chris Paul and Book's chemistry, that's basically what it boils down to at this point. I don't think that putting Cam in the starting five of a Crowder does much. And, you know, obviously if Aiton is going to be a piece of this team moving forward, an important piece at that, you can only bench him for a game or two before you have to bring him back in there because that's just sending a horrible message. It's ruining his confidence um, because then the whole discussion turns into, wow, this number one pick got benched instead of, wow, they sent this number one pick a message that he needs to play like a number one pick. And, and we've talked about this before the season even began. As soon as the Suns got Chris Paul, I said this would be a make or break season for Aiden. Like mentally, he's going to be put through the ringer he needs to be able to respond he needs to answer the call so far he has not that doesn't mean he's a bust that doesn't mean he's a bum that doesn't mean we should attack him on twitter but so far it has been disappointing and it's okay to acknowledge that it's been disappointing without giving up on the kid or you know declaring that he's not going to be good at all so kind of a situation that we're going to need to keep tabs on moving forward um Because unfortunately, aside from staggering Book and CP3 more and Aiton just waking the hell up, this might be something that just needs to sort itself out over time. There's no quick fix to this solution as much as fans would like there to be one, Um, which is tough because it's been really bad, like noticeably bad through the first 11 games. But even with those problems, the Suns are still 7-4. and It's not time to panic just yet. It's definitely time to start working on whatever chemistry issues are still lingering there. Because if it doesn't change soon, the record won't look as pretty as it does now. But it's not time to panic just yet. You know, once we get to the twenty game mark, if this is still continuing, if the Suns' season has taken a bit of a nosedive, then you do what you got to do. I think you do consider benching Ayton for a game coming up if he doesn't respond well in the in the next game that the Suns play, whenever that might be. But um, you know, aside from that, it's something that is just going to have to work itself out with more time together and uh you know go from there but yeah that's gonna do it for episode four of the fellows of phoenix podcast please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't already feel free to write me a review and as always thank you so much for tuning in i know you have many choices when it comes to your son's podcast so i appreciate you giving mine a go until next time this is joe borgay signing off